0: Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast.
1: Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, Mahaben. and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories 2021. I'm your host Betsy Olam. Thank you for joining us today. I'm sure that uh, my pronunciations in the intro were off or offended somebody, but our des- our guest today can fix that or provide experts who can pronounce hello correctly in more than 200 languages. I thought that it was high time we shined a spotlight on translation services. So to help us do that, I'm excited to introduce Bobby Lahir, founder and CEO of Spoken Here. Hello, Bobby. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, Betsy, and thank you very much. And I think your pronunciations were just fine.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's the first time I I asked a guest how I did. So good, glad <laughs> to know I do my best. Uh, I have a question. Our, our first question is: Language services more apropos than translation services, or do they mean the same thing?
2: Well, I think translation services is set of language services, so it's it's more specific and. <clears throat> You know, be, being a uh, a linguist myself, I'm, I'm a bit of a grammar Nazi, much to the chagrin of uh, my family at home. <laughs> but okay. I always tell them, "Hey, I'm just trying to just trying to clean up the the world and the grammar one mistake at a time." Um, but joking aside, uh, I'm, I'm, it's a bit esoteric, but it does have some um, practical uh, reasons for for understanding the distinction, particularly between translation and interpreting. In fact, we did a a little snack video, a 30-second video a few years ago about uh, highlighting the differences and and made it a little bit fun. But uh, language services in general uh, will cover pretty much anything that involves conveying meaning of something from one language to another. Now, that could be translation, which is written. It could be interpreting, which is oral. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, those two terms are used interchangeably. Um, especially by the, the lay public that may not have very much experience with, um, these sorts of things, but in, in my world, they're very different. So as I mentioned, translation is written, interpreting is oral. They're very, they're two very different, um, services. They're two very different skill Um, very often a, a very good translator might not make a very good interpreter and vice versa. Um, two very okay. different areas of the brain, different sets of experiences and that sort of thing. And they're priced very differently as well.
1: Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad we, I just wanted to get into that a little bit as we begin our discussion. So the first thing I want to do is introduce you to our listeners. So tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you grew up and all that. And then tell us how you discovered your love of languages, if you don't mind. That was two questions. Sure.
2: So <laughs> I am uh, knee deep in the midlife, uh, I wouldn't say crisis. I think uh, <laughs> there's a lot of crises going on. But uh, I'm 50 years old, born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, I like to tell people I'm, I'm the only hillbilly that speaks German. Uh, I uh, grew up there, spent 14 years in Memphis, graduated from Rhodes College. Um, and now I've been in Houston for about 18 years, 18 plus years, where my wife is from. Mm-hmm. Um, got involved in in languages at an early age um and i tell the story my grandparents were actually immigrants my dad's a first generation american but Mm -hmm. i did not grow up bilingual um i got involved with or i got exposed to foreign languages uh really first in uh school in eighth grade um i went to baylor school private school in in chattanooga that had at the time a a pretty substantial offering of foreign languages and When I was in eighth grade, they they gave they herded all of us into this room and said, you're going to take this test. And we like we're eighth graders. We don't know better. We're like, okay. so and I didn't realize at the time uh, how seminal a moment that was in my life, because what they were doing at the time, they don't do it this way anymore. But what they were doing at the time, they were testing our aptitude to learn foreign languages. When I look back now, it's 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 actually kind of silly, but um, because we all learn a language when we're growing up right from the time we're born. Yeah, um, that's why it's called your your mother tongue, because you basically learned this from your mom and dad. But um, in eighth grade, they, they administered this test and they were trying to determine our attitude for learning foreign languages. So long story short, if you scored a certain percentage on this test, you were free then to choose whatever language you wanted to take starting in ninth grade. Well, as luck would have it, I, I guess I scored high enough that they gave me the option to choose uh, what language I wanted to take. Otherwise, you were required to take Latin which I had no interest in, and I've always been interested in history, World War II history. Mm -hmm. I'm also kind of the, um, I like to say, tell people I'm the salmon that swims downstream, so I like to be very different from everybody else, and so while most kids were choosing to take French or Spanish, uh, I chose to take German, which my school offered. Instant love affair. Uh, I fell in love with it from day one, Uh, and it was a, a a talent that I didn't know I had. So, you know, this, this talent and love for languages uh, was discovered pretty quickly. So anyway, I took four years of German at Baylor. I also took two years of French and then moved on to school uh, to, to college at Rhodes. But those, that, uh, the teacher I had at, at Baylor and um, what he exposed me to, he became a, a mentor. He's still a lifelong friend. I talk to him to this day and um, ended up opening doors for me that I, to a new world, I, I did a student exchange program to Vienna, Austria, and that further um, strengthened that was my, high
1: school? was that high school, this but was you, in high school, yeah,
2: yes, I, I was, I was 15 when I did that student exchange,
1: yeah, I'll have to say, I, I was lucky, I, I guess I had a little proclivity for speaking French, and I was lucky at 16 that I was able to do a in exchange I lived with their family and they the guy came back and lived with my family it was in high school but it was personal some families that we knew knew their family it wasn't like a a formal thing but it sure was great and I I but I can't imagine Vienna that's kind of unusual for high school isn't it
2: oh it's yeah Vienna is my favorite city it's it's just uh you know rich in culture and history and at the crossroads of a lot of different cultures but having that experience at that young age um you know i came back and that's all i could talk about was going to europe my parents were terrified i was going to move to europe you know but um I, you know and, and we're all impressionable at that age uh but mm-hmm. having um, having been able to travel to europe at, at, <clears throat> at age 15 I actually turned 16 in austria and um it, it really uh solidified what was already just a um rapidly growing passion for travel, for languages, for people from other cultures, uh, that that's just as strong today uh, as it was back then.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, that's kind of what uh, export the export stories industry, if you will, is about. I mean, I think we all have that in common, uh, loving travel and business with people around the world. And, you know, so I think a lot of people can relate to that. That's, but still, that's very, very interesting beginning. So, so then how did you, how did it, you come to create Spoken Here? What's that story?
2: Uh, well, so, got out of college, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I had so many people tell me through the years, oh, you speak these languages, you can do whatever you want and all this stuff. But it was crazy because when I I got done with school, you know, sure, I I had these language skills and this love for languages and all of that. But I really didn't know because, you you know, you could apply that to pretty much any industry, especially now. I mean, the world is completely different now than it was in 92 when I graduated college, you know, with the Internet and technology and all of these things. So we're we're more connected, and some would argue less connected. But we're more connected now than we ever have been. Um, and and so these language skills, this the passion for languages, it can be applied to virtually any industry, um, which is great because there's a you know pretty much any industry has a need for our services. Uh, but I got I got out of school and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to continue in in uh, some capacity to utilize my language skills and and to, you know, pursue that passion. Um, So I I ended up meeting a guy in Memphis who had a uh, startup translation company. And we got together, he had founded that company, I think about six months prior to our meeting, and we hit it off right away. Um, We started working together. And while I was doing other jobs to make ends meet, I was waiting tables and doing other things. And I oh, actually yeah. worked for a cotton merchant in Memphis for a year and a half uh, trading uh-huh. Russian cotton. I bet I know him. I bet I know him.
1: I was in that business for a while.
2: Is and, that right? Well, I, I worked for DECA International, Michael DeCayatani. I
1: sure did. And, I
2: know him. I, I sure did. Uh, you know Michael. All
1: right.
2: But we, had, yeah, that, that was, uh, the only reason I took that job is because he promised me travel and the chance to use my language skills, which were, that was, that was a done deal for me at that point. Um, but, uh, while I was working there, like you said, to making meat, you know, in, in, uh, after hours and weekends, you know, we were really trying to grow the, the translation company and get that off the ground. And by about 1994, uh, we had done that enough to where I could do that full time. So, uh, dove in full time around that, around 95, I guess it, it was. Well, I have, and can I have a question.
1: Begin- can I, can I interrupt sure. for a second? So 94, 95, the internet was still a really new little animal. So how, how much was the internet important to your business at that time?
2: Um, I would say in terms of, uh, you know, operations, not important at all. We were still doing things by fax, you know, licking envelopes and sending things through the mail. But I'll tell you where it, it really did make a difference was at that time, um, I also had a, a kind of a, a website design company that was starting up. And we, I was getting a lot of calls through that company to, hey, can you translate our website into Spanish? And basically, at that point, it was, you know, uh, pulling out HTML, translating it to Spanish and reposting it. And we, we were getting a lot of calls to, to translate company websites. So that. At that time, really, the Internet was only important in that regard that, you know, we had clients that were wanting to uh, to get a presence in other languages on, you know, still referred to as the World Wide Web at that point.
1: Right.
2: Um, but operationally, um, not much of an impact at all because we were still doing things by fax.
1: Right. Don't miss those days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and um, and- well, well, no. Let's keep let's keep going because we need to get. I want to get to where the company is today, what it does, and you know. Yeah. It's a and I need to story. finish
2: up, yeah. up my answer to your question. You asked how how did spoken here come about? So, in '92, when I met my business partner, we worked together in that company for about 19 years, and then, uh, as many partnerships do, they, we we had kind of grown apart a little bit. We decided to part ways. And in late 2010, early 2011, um, I rebranded. And by that point, I was already in Houston. I came to Houston in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, but I rebranded, uh, created Spoken Here Communications at the time. We've since renamed to Spoken Here Language Services. Um, and then really, you know, uh, started going a little, a little bit deeper into a lot of the relationships that, that I had helped create over the years in the previous company. And, and I do want to speak to that very briefly. Um, relationships and people. I'm a, I'm a people person. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, meeting new people, whether it's here, whether it's in another country. Um, I, I pretty much know no strangers. I, I can befriend somebody on the street in five minutes, you know, uh, we can be fast friends. And, and I like to get to know people and get to know about their lives and, and all of those other yeah. things. And so that's really the fu- foundation of Spoken Here. We tell our clients that we help You build better relationships with the people your business values most. How do we do that? Well, we do that through our expert language services and our passion for languages. Because, as you know, Betsy, with you know every every good relationship is based on good communication. And if you if you don't have good communication, it's very hard to have a good relationship. So, if we can build those relationships and we can help um, you know channel our passion and expertise for foreign languages to our clients, then they can build those relationships with those people that they need in their business. Um, and so, you know, we, we focus on building the relationship. I know it sounds cliche, but it's, it's true. Um, it's not, it's, it's not one of our core values, we put people first. So if we can do that, the business will follow.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, and, and that, you know, that was kind of one of the questions I had. You've, you've kind of answered it, but it was that, you know, so many services, or internet driven today, but yours is seems to be more of a combination of personal and internet. Can you kind of talk to that a little bit more?
2: Sure. So <clears throat> the internet um, certainly plays a huge role in our industry, as it does in virtually every industry. And I think I had I, I, I was thinking about this uh, before we got on today about how, you know the state of the industry now and and how it's changed and where it's going. Yeah. Certainly, there's a lot of uh, disruption in our industry. Uh, again, not unique to us. There's disruption in a lot of industries these days because of technology, because of the internet. Um, technology is driving a lot of that change in our industry. Um, it's you know there's a lot of um, technology is being utilized. Let's put it this way: it's being deployed to make uh, to translate things more quickly, uh, to translate things more consistently. Uh, There is so much content being created every day that it's very difficult to keep up with the need for translation of that content worldwide with the old business model, right? So there's a lot of things nowadays such as neural machine translation, which is NMT. Um, I think we've gotten used to, uh, you know, in the United States at least, uh, we've gotten used to everything being so fast paced, you know, fast food, You, you can drive up to a window and get something handed to you to eat very quickly, or you can get the instant connection on the internet. And so there's this idea that, hey, I can just, you know, dump some stuff into a machine and get get it spit out into a different language, and, I, and, and I'm well on my way. There is some truth to that. There, there are applications for that Google Translate, for example, where, um, you know, it can get you what you need uh, at a certain point. But on a business communications level, right. there is still um, a very big need for an expert human translator to convey meaning. And that is very, a very important point to highlight. Really? The very first rule in translation, and this goes back you know, to, to the beginning of time, really, is that you don't translate words, you translate ideas. Right. And the human brain is very adept at being able to take meaning, take subtleties, take nuance, and convey yeah. that meaning into a different language, so that the user understands, um, the the end user understands what you're trying to say.
1: Yeah, but but then there's the specificity of contracts and and agreements where that you've got to have professional. I would think you have to have professional assistance uh, so yes. that every and, word is means exactly what it's meant to. mean
2: between the two parties. That's correct. And as professional um, translators and a professional agency, uh, we have a lot of tools at our disposal that help us facilitate that process. So we work a lot with translation memory tools. Uh, Translation memory tools are uh, softwares that help a professional translator manage what they are translating. So these aren't these aren't softwares that Translate everything for you, and then you just turn it back to the client. Uh, We do work with some of that, some neural machine translation that, you know, learns from sources on the internet, that learns from previous things, that can build a foundation that a professional translator then can come in and massage or tweak or edit or whatever you want to call it to to get a final product that is presentable and usable by a client. So, so we're entering into a phase now where, uh, well, we have been for a while, where you're working with a hybrid of, of very good professional humans and very good technology that can not only craft a final product that is usable and very good, but they can do do it more quickly to, to keep up with the the ever-growing, ever increasing, ever accelerating amount of content that's being trans uh, being generated every day in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I understand. Um what is what is the competition like in your business I mean I'm sure it's broad at this point what I assume it's a very competitive industry or is that a wrong assumption
2: it it is a very competitive industry um, I would say that this industry is probably saturated in terms of providers mm-hmm. um, but it's very fragmented so you've probably got I would say you know eight to 10, maybe 15 of the top, you know, the big boys in the world, the top companies in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about companies on the level of, you know, all the way from 100 million up to $800 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. Those are the companies that um, they've got a a very large um, workforce. They've got a lot of technology where they come in and have their processes where you know, the biggest companies in the world are churning out so much content, they're putting it through this process and getting what they need. And then below that, you've got thousands and thousands of smaller LSP. So we're referred to as LSPs, language service providers.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: those companies, those companies are catering to, you know, the mom and pops, the medium sized companies and even a few large companies here and there. Um, just because, you know, you're you're a very large service provider. Um, doesn't mean that you can provide that personal service or doesn't mean that you you may even want to take on certain uh certain demographics in your in your clientele um this industry is is um i think the last time i checked was about a 50 billion dollar a year industry worldwide and it's growing by 10 to 15 to 20 percent per year there is such a high demand and there's so much work that you know there's plenty of work for for LSPs all the way down the line so so while you've got the, you know, the top 10 or 15 in the world that are doing a large chunk of the, they have a large uh, market cap, there's there's a lot of space still for um, the smaller to medium-sized companies out there that are providing good services. Then you've got even freelancers. There's companies out there that want to work directly with freelancers. Um, it's kind of what we do. We manage that headache for them. Um, and it, it can be a headache when you're dealing with, you know, individual people with individual schedules in in all kinds of different time zones and different ways of payment and different, you know, cultures and customs and norms and things like that. It, it can be a nightmare to juggle, and so that's where we kind of come in as a, as an agency to help uh, manage that process um, and manage the all of the intangibles and and the things that go on in the background. Like I said, with translation memory, maintaining that and making sure that you've got the right translator for the right content. I think one of the um, misperceptions that a lot of people that aren't familiar with our industry or aren't familiar with translation have is, well, they think, well, just because somebody speaks a different language, they can translate. And that's not the case. Um, you've got very specific subject matters that, you know, you can be fluent in two different languages. But for me, me, for example, like I look at a medical document, I wouldn't touch a medical document and I have 25 plus years of experience in translation. You could right. read the English and not really understand what's being said. Right. So, your job as a translator is to convey that meaning in the target language so that it's understood by the target audience. And if you if you don't have a good grasp on the subject matter,
1: it's right. very
2: difficult to do that.
1: Yeah, I can see how that would be very, very, very niche. But um, well, let me ask you something. What would you say are some of the hot languages? Which is to say, what are some of the hot foreign markets that you're you're Uh, getting maybe the
2: most requests for? Good question. And I'll preface that question with this. Uh, A lot of people think that, oh, you're a translation company, you're doing all these translations for companies going overseas. I would say 70 to 80% of our market is for consumption here in the US. So we've got a lot of clients that need things translated for uh, audiences here in the United States. We do, obviously a lot of our companies are exporting. Yeah, but to, to the point of import export, a lot of our companies are exporting their products overseas and we do a fair amount of that as well, right. um, where we translate you know, product packaging, installation manuals, marketing materials, website content uh, mm-hmm. for consumption outside the US. Um, but to your question, obviously Spanish is, is uh, probably uh, the, the language we do the most volume in. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons, we've got a huge demographic in the United States that's Spanish speaking uh, with a very large purchasing power. Um, so we do a lot of Spanish, uh, Chinese, do a lot of Chinese uh, companies yeah. are exporting a lot of their products, a lot of their services to mainland China. It's a very big market, uh, growing market. Um, your standard uh, uh, European languages, German, uh, Portuguese for uh, Brazil is a huge market, too. So a lot of uh, companies are exporting there um and and, uh german french uh we do a lot of french for canada as well as for europe Um, but there's a lot of emerging languages so one of the one of the areas that we uh, or services that we provide is remote interpreting we have a platform where our clients can come on and uh get an interpreter uh on the phone to help facilitate a conversation between themselves and a third party in in up to 200 languages including Uh, Video remote interpreting, we provide a lot of American Sign Language too. Uh, So there's a lot of. I want to get into
1: that in a minute.
2: Yes. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. I don't want to jump the gun on that. No,
1: no, (laughs) no. But I was going to say
2: there's a lot of, there's a growing need for languages such as Tigrinya, Somali. Uh, There's a lot of uh, workers in the United States that come from these countries that speak little to no English. Mm-hmm. Um And these are languages that, you know, the average you know, Joe Q public wouldn't wouldn't think of right off the bat that's there's a big need for. So, you know, Thai, Vietnamese, Hmong, uh, Lao, a lot of these uh, languages that are in uh, Southeast Asia. But there's a lot of those workers here in the United States that have a need.
1: That sounds fascinating. It really does. So... I read, you know, on your red that you have a voiceover recording studio. Can you explain how that works? Maybe you've already addressed it, but I just want to be sure I understand. What is voiceover? Sure, work? so
2: voiceover, we do a lot of voiceover work, um, a lot of voiceover work in, in uh, for e-learning translation. So we have uh, a lot of clients that develop learning and training courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may use authoring tools such as Storyline or Captivate or what have you. And these training courses can be everything from environmental health and safety uh, to management training. You've got people coming up in the company through the ranks and they need to learn you know, how to be better at uh, management or sales or what have you. And so they'll develop these courses that, that these clients can take online. Um, and very often these, these courses have an audio component to them. So you hear like a, a speaker walking them through the course So when they go to translate the content for the the learning courses, we also have to do a voiceover in the target languages uh, to add to those courses. So we're providing uh, professional voiceover services in all of the languages that we support. Um, You may have like a a learning course, for example, that a client needs. We recently completed a course that that the client needed translated into German. And we translated the on-screen text, the, the content that goes along with that. But there was also a speaker that was speaking in English, and so we we took that audio component. And we worked with one of our professional voiceover talents, uh, translated the content, had them do the voiceover, and then we packaged that all back up and send it to the client as a, a deployable course. Um, wow. I have a we have a, a professional voiceover studio here at our headquarters uh, because we we do a lot of that work here. But we also do all of our own marketing. Uh, here in-house. So we'll, we'll do, uh, we, we do a lot of on-location filming and uh, voiceover work. We'll do uh, client success stories. Uh, we'll do our own marketing pieces. And that's, uh, that's what the need for the, the recording studio here was for, that we could do that all in-house. Uh, most of the foreign language voiceovers that we do are done in-country uh, or somewhere else, off-site, wherever we have our relationships. There, there's that word again. Whoever we have a relationship with the professional voiceover talents, um, they have their own recording facilities there.
1: Oh, wow. That is very interesting. And tell tell me now about your sign, sign language services. Where is that used and how is that used? Um, I mean, I know what sign language is, obviously, but but <laughs> what's the uh, application?
2: So a little background on that before I, I get it deeper into your, the answer of that, that question. So American sign language, obviously, uh, that's something that you can't do via audio, right? It has to be seen in order to be effective. And before we had our technology platform where we could, we could connect clients to our interpreters, we were actually sending ASL interpreters on site uh, all over the place. All, we have clients all over North America, uh, but they would have a need, say, They've got a hearing impaired uh, patient in the healthcare space, or we work with a lot of um, nonprofit groups that cater to uh, at-risk youth, uh, families that, that are experiencing some sort of, uh, you know, trouble or, or difficulty in social si- uh, situations, things like this. So we would, we would be sending ASL interpreters on site to help uh, broker those conversations so that the, uh, the at-risk youth or the families could get the care that they needed through our clients, right? Um, and we've actually got a, a couple of um, clients there in Memphis that are very good at this. Uh, youth Villages is one of our clients, and they're very good at uh, catering to at-risk youth um, and whatnot. So, but they, so the, the, the American Sign Language interpreters, again, we would send them on site. Um, it was very difficult to schedule. You've, you've got to you know, make sure you've got the qualified person in the right place at the right time, um, there was usually a two two hour minimum charge. You're you're paying for uh, uh, gas, you know, to and from, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Our new platform that we rolled out about three years ago uh, helped bring those costs down, helped facilitate uh, the logistics side, so it's much easier to schedule. The ASL interpreter doesn't have to be on site because they can do this uh, remotely through our video remote interpretation platform.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but the settings are again, there's a lot of healthcare uh, where uh, we do a lot of work in the physical therapy space, for example. So you may have a, a patient that has to go in and get some physical therapy. They have um, they're hearing impaired, or maybe they have complete hearing loss. Um, so our client will log into our app or the platform. Um, they will uh, request a, an ASL interpreter, and within a few seconds, uh, one joins the conversation, and they can help facilitate that. And that, then the, the hearing impaired patient can get the care they need. So it's leading to um, better information for the providers and better outcomes for the patient, which is a win-win for everybody.
1: Well, I tell you, that it just shows the breadth of your industry and your services that I, I would never have uh, thought of before. So that's fascinating. Um, so now let's uh, tell us a, a few of your stories, you know, about not just about how you developed the business, but some of your customer experiences. Uh, we'd really like to hear some of your stories.
2: Well, I love stories, and and because uh, storytelling is a is a big part of everything we do, right? And sure. I mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier that sure, we we sell translations, we sell language services, but I I've wanted our team to focus in the last three or four years on the why of what we do, and it all goes back to relationships. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like to tell uh, people about you know, our story and our history and, and my passion and what we're trying to do is that, you know, I, I could literally go to 80 countries right now. And if I needed a place to stay, a warm meal, whatever, somebody to pick me up at the airport or the train station, uh, I could do it because over the years, we've really focused on trying to build great relationships with not just our, the, the people on the client side, but really the people on the vendor side. You know, we, it's interesting because even before you you talked about, you'd ask me about, you know, how did we do things back in the early days? You know, how, how big was the internet? And I, I told you that not really at all. Um, you know, we were working with people in, in, you know, on the other side of the world. We had translators in China that we were depending on to deliver good quality work so that we would look good in front of our clients. So we really had to build that relationship. We had to build that trust. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you work with a, a translation agency in the United States when you're in China and you put all this work in and you send deliverables over and then that company never pays you? They go away. They change names and open up as a new company. I mean, I saw that happen back in the early days. So it was very important for us to, to build that trust and build that relationship on the vendor side. We paid our, our vendors early. We, we got to know them you know, on a personal level. We talked to them about their families, about their, their kids, you know, how are things going? it wasn't just a business transaction for us. Um, It was more of let's build this relationship and then we can, you know, the business, like I said, the business will follow if we, if we do all of those things. And that's really what's happened. Um, A lot of the translators we work with today and and the voiceover uh, talents and the interpreters that we work with today, I've known for 20, 25 years personally. And that means a lot to me that they, you know, that they continue to work with us and they love working with us. They drop everything they're doing to, to do things for us. So a little bit about those stories about, um, you know, personal relationships and things. Yeah. I, I can tell you, uh, actually, there's a funny story. We had a doctor at the time that um, sent over, this was in the early days, right? And we were, we would take any business we could get, but we had a doctor that called us one day and said, Hey, I've got a, a letter from a lady in the Czech Republic. I just went over there for a conference and, you know, I need this translator. She's written me this letter. It's in Czech and I can't read it. And I said, okay, send it over. So we gave him a price and he was, He was fine with that. And we translated the letter, it turned out to be a Dear John letter. Oh, no. Yeah. I guess he had gone over to this conference and met this woman and who knows whatever else went on. But anyway, this letter came through and we translated it and sent it back to him and said, here it is. And he was so upset by the contents of the letter that he got mad. I'm not paying you guys and whatnot. And anyway, we talked to him and said, look, translators are kind of like umpires in baseball. You know, right. we, we don't want to really be noticed we just kind of call <laughs> things as we see them and, and we don't I- inject our own personal uh you know opinions or whatever into what we're doing so he, he saw that he kind of calmed down ended up paying us but it was a funny insight to you know how these things are, are viewed
1: I can't believe he didn't think it was a possibility that it wasn't a, <laughs> a, a friendly love letter that is so funny you know I was thinking yeah, we, I, you know I, I, I was thinking about college students who go to college today and want to major in a foreign language, you know, and so many of their parents are going, you, you know, what are you going to do with that? Well here's an industry and there's a lot of uh, application for being fluent in language. So so you kids out there that are listening, you can develop a career in language services. So I just wanted to say that.
2: You can and, and as I mentioned before you know, when I was coming through college and a lot of people said, well, what are you going to pair with it? You know, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't just do, you know, you can't just make a career out of just languages. You got to add something to it. And I always thought about international law school, stuff like this. And, and then it's ironic that I ended up, you know, being in the language services industry. So you can do that and you can pair it with something else. So um, it's always something that's, that's, it's a value for sure. Another story I wanted to tell you was, uh, my director of client services, Kathleen, one day came to me and she said, you know, I got this request, uh, for a quote to, uh, translate some content for an adult entertainment site. <laughs> and she's like, absolutely not. We're going to, we're not going to do this. And I told her, why not? You know, this is a client that needs our services and, and we could provide that in a professional manner and whatnot and, and get paid for it. And we started, we started looking at the content and we started asking some of our translators, Hey, you know, we've got this new client potentially, and." And they want to do this, that and the other, you know, would, would you be willing to translate? and everybody to a man came back. I'm not doing it. I'm a professional. I'm not doing this. So okay. we ended up turning the client down. It was probably the right decision. Um, you know, I was ambitious about going after the business and building relationships, but, um, but my gatekeeper you know, she had other ideas. It was probably the right decision in the long run. So well, I don't know what happened to that client if they ended up getting it done, but not through us.
1: <laughs> you were trying to be democratic. I appreciate that and respect that. That's funny. Uh, sure. So one, one thing
2: I, I wanted to tell you, too, and uh, this is something that just came to mind. You know, we all, we all just came through this pandemic last year, and it, it was crazy. Everybody was locked down. Uh, one of the things I, I wanted to do was, hey, you know, we're all locked down. Uh, we're trying to figure things out. You know, companies are trying to figure out how to work remotely. Let's go to our translators and some of our voice talents in other countries, and let's ask them to put together, a, you know, a 45-second, minute-and-a-half video of what life is like for them in their country and their town right now during this pandemic. And we called it the Quarantine Diaries. And we ended up posting about, I don't know, eight or nine short video clips. They're on our uh, website under resources. Okay. I think spoken com slash resources. But you can look on there and, and see uh, just a little window into, you know, some of our translators how they live, you know, what their town looks like. I think there was one, we had a, one, of our trans, one of our remote interpreters did a really fascinating one in Peru where she's walking down the street and it was just eerily quiet, right? It was they Peru, Lima had locked down the entire city, the entire country, and she's out there on a beautiful sunny day you know, walking around talking about what life is like and how you know, the challenges they're facing and things like this. And, and we still had a lifeline for them uh, to be able to offer remote interpreting services to our clients, especially during a time when everything was remote at that point. So it was, it was, a, it was a neat insight uh, to see how things are, are, what they look like in the, in the world. Uh, but also it, got us, it gave us a chance to get to know the people we work with even better. And it was just really fascinating. It was very interesting. Was I very love interesting.
1: that. I'm gonna, of course, post your uh, a link to your website uh, on on the episode page, so people will get to hear that. I mean, that's an oral history that someday people will go back to and look at. You know, when they're writing the books about the the great um, COVID pandemic, they can look at these oral histories. That that'll be very, very interesting. Yeah. I love that idea. That's very cool. So yeah.
2: Um, another story <clears throat> that comes to mind was, uh, and I think this, this kind of, uh, speaks to what I just talked about, about getting to know the people we work with. And, you know, I, I don't ever think of, you know, that old adage, Betsy, where they say if you, if you enjoy what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, that's true for me. And, and I've failed to mention this earlier, but <clears throat> growing up, my two loves were languages and baseball. And I'm actually still playing baseball these days. Really? My my son plays on my team. So it's really cool. Yeah, we play in a a fast pitch wood bat league here in Houston. But uh, baseball ended up not being able to pay the bills. And so I had to kind of go in a different route. Fortunately, I had this other love for languages. And, you know, talking about getting to know people and and all of that, um, I really enjoy learning about these people we work with. I I never feel like I'm working, I never feel like you know, any email, any phone call, any, you know, uh, web conference that we may do with the people that, that support us around the world is a business transaction. It's never a business transaction for me. Yeah. It's another opportunity to talk to them. It's another opportunity to get to know them. It's another opportunity to maybe learn something about, you know, uh, a translator that lives in Argentina. Or I've asked, I've asked our translator, hey, send me a shot of what it looks like out your window. I'd like to see the street. I'd like to you know, see where you live. I like these things fascinate me. I've always been naturally curious, and so this industry, this line of work, is a perfect fit for somebody like me who wants to meet people from all over the world, who wants to learn about their culture, who may want to pick up a, a word or two in their particular language. Um, I've always found that uh, very gratifying, like on a, on a deep cellular level for me personally, and like fills up my cup. So to speak, and the fact that I can make some money, you know, at the same time and support my family and my team members, it's just gravy on the potatoes. Um, so but so th- to that to that point, uh, I've tried to foster that culture in our company. And one time, one of our project managers uh, was sending a was trying to send a project, trying to assign a, a project to one of our Polish translators in Poland. We had to translate something for one of our clients into Polish, and you know there was a time difference. I think it was late in the day here, or maybe it was, it was mid-afternoon here, so it was getting late in the day over there, and she sent it over, connected with our translator, and our translator said, you know, hey, I'll get to this when I get back. I've got to run to the store and get some things, and so our project manager jokingly said, hey, pick something up for me while you're there. You know, just a, a comment to, to, just small talk, right, to further the relationship and, and, and be more on a personal level. Well, he actually emailed her a picture of a Polish beer, and said, hey, I picked you up a Polish beer while I was out. Now, while wow. we can't really drink the beer. The, the idea that, that uh, we made that connection, you know, more personable, more personal, really is the essence of what Spoken Here is all about.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: and so, Absolutely. you know, like I said earlier, we, we, can, we go to these people and they, they work for other companies, right? They're freelancers, but they drop what they're doing to take care of us. And we know we're going to get good quality. We know we're going we're to get um, a good response. So, you know, building those bridges and talking about, you know, a Polish translator going to pick up a beer for us that we're never going to be able to drink, but he sent a photo of it. Those are the little things that really strengthen the relationship and ultimately uh, help us keep our promises to our client.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. My husband got mad at me when I visited Poland on a business trip because I didn't bring back pickles, but that's (laughs) I couldn't bring it. I'll
2: go over there because it's on my bucket list. I'm I've been to 27 countries, but I have not yet been to Poland. It's on my bucket list.
1: Well, try getting pickles through with customs. It's, it's not easy.
2: <laughs> if, if you know any good import-export experts, I'd I'll, I'll be, be happy to talk to them.
1: Okay, cool. I, I should. I should. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So many good stories, Bobby. I think we could probably go for another hour, but this was... Such a good conversation. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, and I think it's going to open the eyes of a lot of people who just hadn't given enough thought to what you do and what's what's out there. But um, like I said, we're going to uh, post your website, some photos, and and information about uh, spoken here, so people can look and uh, and and also uh, they can comment on this uh discussion this conversation on the episode page um you know i hope people reach out to me i can share any questions with bobby if you have them and um we're also on facebook and twitter so you know what i'm trying to do here is is create a community of exporters and we just like getting the conversation going so i wanted to say that and i I just want to thank you so much bobby for for being here today and for participating
2: well betty i really appreciate the opportunity uh i love to talk so doing a podcast is right up my alley and yes. uh, but i really appreciate the opportunity and uh, and i've got a, a new relationship with you too so it's it's Absolutely. kind of a win-win all the way around
1: we will definitely stay in touch so that sounds good well thank you bobby and thanks to all our listeners today thanks a lot
0: Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting.